0: Welcome to Highly Volatile, and unfiltered podcast for real-life professional traders, investors, and top executives. To be the best, you need your thoughts and perspectives challenged by the best. This podcast series features some of the most thought-provoking and disruptive minds in both business and investing. My name is Kevin Van Trump, and I'm joined each podcast by my good friend, legendary trader and angel investor, Andy Daniels. Together we attempt to challenge the conventional and gain a better understanding of the disruptor. We search high and low for wealth packs and exciting new investment opportunities. But at the same time, try to uncover hidden pitfalls or unforeseen changes coming our direction that might rock our worlds. We hope you're challenged by our unfiltered thoughts and conversations and enjoy our highly volatile podcast. And please remember there's risk in trading futures and options. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources, foundations for you to buy or sell any commodity, any stock or any type of other investment. So make sure you use the podcast as an educational tool to broaden your horizons and maybe add a bit more perspective. Hey, this is Kevin Van Trump. I'm here with my good friend Andy Daniels. We're doing another edition of our Highly volatile podcast. Uh, we got our good friend Braden Hootie on the line with us as well, and uh, you guys are out in Idaho, right, Andy?
1: Yeah, man, we sure are. We, uh, we're out here. Uh, we just uh, concluded the week-long Rocky Mountain Economic Summit uh, that's been held now, I guess in the 15th year, um, in Victor, Idaho, just down the street, right right just, uh, maybe an hour from uh, Jackson, Wyoming, Jackson hole. And, uh, had a, had a good time and, uh, a lot of good conversation, interesting people, interesting, uh, venue overall. What was Um, the overall
0: kind of, what was the overall mindset?
1: Well, you know, there were different subjects covered. It was one day of kind of just, uh, all round table conversation and, uh, panels uh they kind of followed the uh van trump prom theme uh, of having different panelists up there but uh they led off with uh paul ryan uh you know former speaker of the house aka the rhino um and he he talked his political uh banter and you know very eloquent guy but uh his his i guess upshot was that um the only person that biden can beat is trump and uh you know, he thinks at the end of the day, um, you know, Trump won't be a candidate. A lot can change in the next year, even with his 35 percent hold on the Republican uh, uh, polling numbers right now, that uh, something will come up and something will change. Um, and that, you know, it's either be DeSantis, Haley, or Rick Scott. Uh, but, you know, one of the keys to everything is going to be getting the, the – the field, you know, pared down rather quickly because, you know, you're going to have a lot of people pull, pulling two or three percent here and there, and and you got to get it down so that uh, an alternative can be found. Obviously, he's not a big Trump fan at all, to say the least. Uh, they didn't get along very well, and uh, well, in any event, uh, so he he thinks that uh, at the end of the day that you're going to uh, probably run into. Uh, uh, you, know, you know, same thing everyone else thinks Biden's old and can't can't uh, make it another term or maybe even uh, this term. But that uh, you know, he, he thinks it's uh, likely that, and he's optimistic that the Republicans will take the House and the Senate and whatnot back uh, in 2024. Um, did you hear him say any much else, or Brady? No, I think he covered it.
2: You know, to, to your point though, he he said that Trump Trump's platform needs Biden to run off of, and Biden's platform needs Trump to run off of. And without
1: each other, they can't do it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's kind of interesting. I guess that's about yeah. Well, we got so three hundred fifty you... million people in this country, and uh, these are the two best we can come up with. We're <laughs> hard hard to hard to get your head around that one. <laughs> yeah.
0: What are you hearing, Andy? I know you see, you you went to a lot of bigger Trump things and around a lot of big donors. I mean, are you hearing the same? I'm hearing like a lot of those, some of those bigger people and bigger votes are are wouldn't aren't going to vote for Trump this time around, just too
1: divisive for the country. Or what are you hearing? Same thing. Pretty much the same thing. I mean, just yeah. too divisive. I mean, we we you know we are you know is. Uh, Bipartisan as we've ever been, and we, we need we need to come back to the center. Um, and you know he's not going to get us there. And uh, as much as I loved his policies, uh, you know his words and his deeds just don't don't uh, resonate. And um, oh you know, as much as he's alienated three quarters of, of the people that used to be in his cabinet, who the hell is going to go to work for him? His own kids are yeah. backing away from him. I mean. I I just don't I I just don't see how he may have a strong base out there and he, he certainly can, you know, rally up crowds and get people fired up, but but uh I, I just think it's too divisive and uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see well, what
2: what was Paul Ryan saying yesterday about how how he identified like the two different kind of categories within the within the Republican side, he was like there's this suburban Crowd and the and the mega crowd, and even them are are kind of split on a lot of things. And what was he saying though? Like the like the, that's enough to split split up the party
1: mm-hmm. in
2: terms of uh, in terms of numbers yeah. and votes. And if Trump goes in, he said just a lot of, a lot of the suburban voters just won't vote.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, and what, what he also made a comment about uh, how how. Uh, Trump could run because the question was asked, well, would he be the spoiler if he doesn't get the, get a, get the republican nomination? would he go as an independent and you know um, Ryan went through a very elongated uh conversation about how he couldn't do it because there wouldn't be enough time to get on all the different state ballots and uh and and even his legacy would be ruined because if he went in and just started bashing the Republican and the Democrat. Uh, if he didn't get the nomination, that uh, you know, the, even the uh, the hardcore maggots would uh, would 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 leave him. And there's probably some truth to that. Not all of them, but a lot of them would. Uh, huh. yeah. So it, it's going to be interesting. Whatever we think today is going to look a hell of a lot different a year from now. And I just don't know what that looks like. But uh, uh, oh, you're right. Anyway, I'm Ryan's Ryan, but. You know, other than yeah. Ryan, uh, there was a lot of conversation uh, on the economic side. For a, and i say that uh, there was. I was surprised at, at the different panelists uh, being as optimistic as they were last year. They, no one would make a decision. They they wouldn't
2: have an opinion
1: one way or the other. Everyone was kind of like a deer in the headlights. Um, but everyone kind of, most of them. I mean, maybe there was one or two dissenters, but. The lion's share of the opinion seemed to be along the lines that uh, we'll have a soft landing and that, uh, you know, we don't necessarily need to go into recession. recession. If that's the case, it's the first time in my lifetime that's ever happened. But, uh, you know, we're 18 months in uh, with people saying in the next three months we're going to have a recession. They've been saying that for the last year and a half, and we haven't technically had one yet, I guess. What did you hear uh, from that side, Braden? it's the same
2: thing like last year don't nobody would make a call for for and for for no money and yeah same thing they're uh soft landing skirt through this you know all that data is showing show, showing that or so they say I, i'm not sure i'm I'm sitting in that camp but, but that was the consensus yesterday and uh higher for longer you know what? It, what we continue to hear a little more and more of is you know they're trying to get down to the magical two percent number, and that probably won't happen. Maybe it's going to be three or four percent where they have to settle out and get comfortable, and and you you start hearing more and more of that. But then the key between the lines is uh, everybody's seeing sticky inflation, but they're not really focusing on it. They're just kind of brushing over it. It's you know there's going to be stickiness along the way in inflation, you know different different asset classes, and that's what I keep picking up. There's
1: is sticky. In uh, and, and sticky uh you know, uh lack of labor is, is you know, can you keep it all alive, right? Uh yeah, I hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I what do you, I'm think with you, you guys think? I
0: think well yeah, I mean I think that's been the the last several weeks. I mean I think that the consensus is the bears were wrong. Uh there isn't gonna be a recession or, or any it's a recession of any major significance corporate earnings are going to continue to hang in there and it feels like any weakness the labor market's going to uh be able to overcome because it's just the strong strong labor demand so i think the fed's going to stay up here for a while though uh just because i i don't think they like the labor market as tight as it is obviously they don't like unemployment uh you know where it's at i think they'd like to see a few more people see that job market loosen up a little bit. And I think that's why I, I don't see any reason why they're going to lower rates anytime soon. It certainly doesn't feel that way. Like, you know, there was that talk a while back, but you know, I, I still wonder, I still, I mean, a lot of these younger people, a lot of these young guys, I, mean, I don't know where they're getting their money to spend it. And there's a lot of spending taking place and looks like a lot of credit cards r- racking up. And I'm worried about all these uh, mortgages that are all going to reset. And, in the real estate, the way it will reset. And, you know, I don't know. It feels to me like there's, there's going to be, the consumer is going to get tapped You know, the college debt. Look at that. You're going to add the college debt back into the equation. Um, Like I said, I think there's a lot of mortgages that'll be resetting soon. And I I don't know. I I don't see how the consumer keeps spending like
2: they've been spending. Do you guys? I think it's borrowed time. Yeah. I I, I just, I, I don't think enough, maybe, maybe enough time hasn't passed yet to, to really change that mindset or have them realize, you know, the average consumer, what's actually happening or, or where their credit card debt is, or thinking about rolling over that mortgage in the next year. I just, I don't think it's happened yet. I, I listened to a really interesting uh, session with Felix Zuloff uh, uh, about a month ago and, you know, big money manager. Where is he?
1: He's well, that, he was part, part of the, uh, uh Malden, the Malden summit, Malden Malden or Malden uh,
2: conference. conference yeah. And he, 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 I re-listened to his, his his session from last year, and he pretty much nailed, you know, 2022 and in his forecast. So, I, you know, I was listening carefully to what he was talking about this year, and he said, you know, we're going to put in – this is just his opinion, but we're going to put in a local high here in the, you know, general equities this summer. We're going to pull the market back 15, 10 to 15%, which would, you know, take us to about 3,800 roughly S&P. And he said that that'll be the Fed's trigger to go one more round of some kind of liquidity event, and and we have one more kind of bull bull run, blow off top to end this bull cycle next year. And if if you look at so if you take that thesis and look at the at the charts technically, it 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 look, it it looks like that that's even a possibility as well. You know, 10-15% correction into the fall. They do something. Maybe they re- relabel it, call it something else, whatever. And they fire this thing up one more time. And uh, he was pretty adamant on it.
1: Yeah, well, I
0: tell you where
2: you I've... Don't... My opinion, where I've really
0: screwed up in the past... I wouldn't say screwed up. I mean, I really haven't lost him. Mean, I haven't made any great money either. Is um, I've just continually... Not disciplined enough to separate the economy from the stock market. You know, I we continue to talk like that too about the debt, or you know, the issue with the real estate, or consumer debt rising, or things like that. Yeah, that you know, that's that's the economy, and I'm telling you what, it seems like the economy and the stock market uh, are massively diverged uh, to some degree, uh, significantly, I think, and I think it's going to continue because is Andy not and saying, I mean, you've seen brain, the number of stocks have shrunk dramatically from the eighties and nineties to what we're trading now. And just look at those top seven to nine big tech. I mean, they've just carried the damn market and the percentage and the weighting in the indexes is, is insane. And you know, if you're short, which I was, I had had some short hedges on, uh, just not that long ago, even. And, uh, you're really betting against Apple, Microsoft, you know, Amazon. You're betting against those seven, eight, nine big, big stocks. And I don't know if that's going to happen. I just don't know if they're going to have massive pullbacks, you know. That's, that's, just, stock market's a, a different animal right now, so don't know. Well, I
1: mean, hell, we're up 17% of the Dow for the year. We're up 35 in the NASDAQ. Here we are today. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I can't be
0: wrong. I can't buy it. No way, no how. No, I hear you. But look at the run in NVIDIA app. I mean, look at the run. It, but here's the thing. You have to look but, at the difference if, in that earnings. In
1: re- now we're here. What do we do?
0: Yeah, but, I mean, those big tech companies have massively increased earnings uh, since 19. I mean, I was looking at the data. I mean, it's crazy numbers, and it's you know, they're putting up the numbers, and it's it's hard to bet against them. I'll tell you that. It is hard to bet against them. But I'm with you, Andy. I feel like we're priced to perfection, but
2: we've said that for a little bit, and uh, I, I, I don't know. I've been watching some of that as well, and, and it's. I think if a person was, was really focused in on it, you know, we're up at 17%. Like you said, some of these, you know, techs ran back in huge numbers. But that, that, that was off the lows when everybody was, you know, scared shitless, you know, after a huge pullback last year. And some of these tech stocks have obviously broken out into new highs. You look at the indexes, we're not putting in new highs right now. And it's, we're just back to, the, you know, the previous high type of levels on average, general indexes. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. It's, you know, where are we at in the cycle? I think this, the bull run in equities is getting long in the tooth. Is there is there a little left? Can we get through next year? Possibly. I don't know. But you know, at the same time, you know, a lot of us or us guys on this call are, you know, live, lived in the commodity space still. Do I? I think we're seeing a turn. And and you know, when they're talking about sticky inflation and stuff, I I think we're going to see a turn and and really have an opportunity in the in in certain commodities going forward instead of trying to chase these things that are. Maybe a little long in the tooth or too high. Yeah, and yeah, I think mean, there's some
1: better opportunities out there, better value to be bought. Right, you 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 have a good uh, sense, and you, you 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 do a lot of uh, following of uh, waves and trends and and uh, technicals as well as obviously fundamentals. But uh, what are you seeing in the, in the metals market? I mean, I know that's kind of been dear to your heart, or, or you follow it closely, and in cryptos for that matter. Mm-hmm. What what are your uh, thoughts on those those things? Well, I, I, I look at metals like,
2: you know, as a as an asset class of commodities, and not as a safe haven, cold bug type of view. And you know, maybe we got, we got our timing; we were a little early to the party, thinking that the Fed was gonna, you know, act more rationally than they did, and we would have seen we would have seen that that asset class spark up a little sooner. But from a from a cycle perspective, it's 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 their time to go. And and then if you look at all the fundamentals around and everything going on with the geopolitical stuff, the market timing, what, what's going on around the world. It's, uh, I, I, think, I think metals are sitting front and center for, for the next run, but I think it's their time, not because I think the world's falling apart. And uh, so I'm, I'm bullish gold, silver, platinum, palladium, uh, you, you know, even copper. Is copper supposed to be an economic indicator of, of growth? But fundamentally, and what's going on out there and the some of the games that china's playing and and stuff, I think China needs to fire up and stimulate their economy and and, and then you look at the supply demand fundamentals i I'm, I'm bullish copper right now too uh i I just went long another day and i i really like it um crypto i'm i'm not i don't follow it very closely, but some of the you know smarter guys than me are out there are really liking these levels that we're at right now. If, if we could hold twenty six thousand Bitcoin on on the next pullback, um, I think there's a lot of people going long just as a, an alternative to gold. And uh, but cyclically and you know technically on the charts, it, it it looks bullish. It really does. So I don't I don't mind it as a as a kind of a side spec play. But I, I'm I don't follow crypto close enough to have an app you know an opinion. But but I do like metals. One of the things we're seeing out there right now too is just with the manipulation and the numbers and in and, and the energy markets. And you look at the long-term fundamentals, I don't know when the timing is going to shake out properly, but, um, I, I could see one more pullback coming this summer in in oil. And I think that's going to be a monumental buying opportunity going
1: forward. Interesting. You know, I, 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 I have a hard time arguing with the, with the battle scenario that you described. Um, uh, and, and then I have no disagreement. Uh, and crude oil, I mean, my gosh, we're, we're just not doing any exploration anymore. Um, and we can, you know, sit here and, and talk about all day long about how uh, EVs are going to replace, you know, uh, uh, crude demand. And it's just not going to happen, in my opinion, in in, in, a, in a timely fashion to, to justify the reduction in, in, in overall exploration. And uh, all the disincentives that we're creating in this country for 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 more growth, so I, I agree. Uh, crude oil and, and you know the the rest of the world and, and uh, uh, they 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 you know in the Middle East they're they're not they're going to continue to cut and do what they need to do. We're 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 we 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 do not have a lot of friends anymore in the Middle East, and uh, and, and and I think you're right. We're going to crude oils either too cheap. Um, and that's only going to, you know, if we do get that kind of a pop, that's only going to fan the inflationary uh, problems we have and keep it alive longer than we than it should. Because, you know, how how far can you break? At some point, uh, even this this administration's got to refill the uh, strategic reserves, and uh, you know that, that that creates a floor if you get down in the, uh, uh, you know, in, in, into the uh, low sixties. So. I don't see how we really break a whole lot. Um I just don't see it. Uh so I, I would agree with you on that front as well. Uh Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree. I'm
0: I'm not long any crude oil at the moment. Uh I am long some back into natural gas again at that time of year, so I'm <laughs> bought some back into natural gas just in case anything goes crazy over in uh with, you know, Europe and Russia or some other things and maybe we'll be Leading exporter, but also a hedge against some of the, uh, you know, if anything were to pop on the fertilizer side or thing. Oh, we're all the way back down to, what, 250, I think. Uh, we're back in somewhere right in there. But, yeah, I, I like it. I, I like Braden's playing copper. I've been, you know, I told you, Andy, last few times, trading copper more and kind of broke out it back again here. It's kind of bumping up against a little bit of resistance. So, yeah, I like the uh, to play longer term. If if, if they're going to go to all this electrification and and do a lot of these things, I mean, I think you're going to see copper, you know, be overwhelmed from a demand standpoint for a while, probably similar to some of those other industrial metals and some of the metals Braden was talking about. So yeah, it's tough to be bearish. Like you guys, uh, you know, it's tough to be bearish metals or, or energies for that case. And you've had the dollar break under some pretty decent pressure. I was short the dollar, not, from high level, they got short of about 104, 105, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's probably maybe going to stay under some pressure. So you got to believe that you, you could have a, a little bit of a setup here where commodities make a nice little move uh, or at least stay strong, which like you guys are saying, I mean, I don't see how that eases inflation. So I don't know if they get it back to that 2% magic number anytime soon. I, I think it, like you guys are saying, I mean, I think we stay in this, you know, three to 4% range maybe for a while and just have to battle it out and and see how it goes here on that front. But yeah, I, I'm on the same page with you guys. I'm long some Bitcoin still, uh, small amounts. I mean, nothing huge. And I like what Braden's. I, I'm going to add to it probably on the strength rather than the pullback, but I may look at it if we Braden's number at 26 and see what we do there. But, Yeah, I think, you know, with BlackRock getting in and trying to create the ETF, I think yesterday, uh, one of the big courts ruled uh, in favor of Ripple, and it was pretty significant ruling that they deemed it not a stock. You know, the SEC and Gensler were trying to regulate uh, the crypto area, and they came out and made the ruling that Ripple wasn't considered any type of stock and that the SEC didn't have any type of jurisdiction over it, so... I think that was pretty big announcement, and uh, you know, maybe you'll see some more institutional money or more things start to uh, move in, in that direction. So I don't know. I, I, I'm with uh, Braden on it. I, I think there's some smart people that are definitely on that bandwagon. I, I'm just following it's above my pay grade. So. I'm yeah. I'm in, I'm
2: in the same, I'm in the same position, Kevin, It's above my pay grade that I just, I just pulled up a chart here while you were talking and, only from a technical perspective, if you watch what's happening fundamentally and, and the money moving back in, or, you know, like you said, BlackRock and, and some of the things yeah. happening changing tides um, 26, 27 on a pullback. And, you know, these guys are thinking that we that we can get back up to that 48, $50,000 range on the, on the next move in, in fairly short order. And it, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me to see it move like that. And it's, if Bitcoin does that, so will all the other products, whether it's Ether, the crypto miners, or whatever. And I I, I, just, yeah. I think it's time for a run. Yeah, yeah, it seems like
0: it. I was long some, uh, oh, Riot, and uh, oh, Marathon Holding there. I didn't stay in it long enough. I, I made a pretty decent clip and then got out, and shit, it just kept on trucking higher, so that's on the crypto mining side. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, same with Carbana. I bought Carbana, like, I was just getting the shit beat out of it. And then I probably took maybe 30% profit, uh, busted out at 30 Shit, thing went up like 300% after that or something. So, you know, I I just haven't been – I've been just so quick on the trigger finger to bank profits in this market. That's what's frustrating. That's where I said I have not made near the money that I could have made, which has been the story of the last two years, three years it seems like. So, I don't know, just – I guess maybe either I'm getting older and I'm a little more worried that the old bears and young bulls, Andy, or I'm just, I don't know. But it it just pisses me off when I cut the winners so short, you know, and when you look at what they could have done
2: or would have done. You know, I've I've truly noticed that too the last couple of years is what we're used to doing or, or setting up as, as overhead resistance or exits. Doesn't it seem like things stretch further longer? Both, both to the upside and downside than than oh, yeah. they used to, and that's well,
1: where you yes really to think. Yeah. I mean, yes, yes, they do, but but cycles are much shorter than they used to be. I mean, things happen quicker and are over faster than they than they ever used to be. Um, you know, things you know agree with three that. three years to, to to move in a direction uh, are doing it in weeks and months now, and and uh, so you you kind of get into that thought in my mind yeah. that, that, that hey, we you know, this is, it's great while it lasts, but, you know, get out quick because they don't last forever. And you look at any chart, it seems like things are more condensed than they Impressed. used to be.
2: Well, maybe if, if you take your, your your thesis, then we're moving too quick and, and just need to go back to some of the traditional ways. Apparently, yeah. Yeah, because it's certainly no
0: way to trade and make money letting your uh... Cutting your winners short and letting your losers run. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster, right? I heard a guy tell me, we were on a call the other day, he's like, you know, you you cut your winners, he's like, it's like going out into your garden and cutting your flowers, man, just letting your weeds grow. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good analogy. I've never heard that one before. So, (laughs) cutting the flowers and letting weeds grow. Shit, I think that's how my uh, portfolio looks a lot of times anymore. So, still got some, some definite losers on the books. But maybe this whole thing will... Rising tide lifts all the boats, right? We'll, we'll see. It doesn't feel that way at the moment. That's why I said it seems like you've only had this basket or handful of uh, certain sectors and areas in like a rolling type rallies, you know. And I, I don't, I don't really know what the next area is going to be. I mean, on the stock side of things, like I said, I bought some Moderna after it got beat up here recently, and bought a few other things, but I don't see anything just screaming buys. I'm still holding Benson no. Hill let's oh, talk uh, about a sore subject <laughs> Andy says, oh, my God,
1: you still hold uh, yeah, well, what are my options well i don't, I, hear you I, I don't i don't have i don't I don't have enough like, gains to uh off, need the tax laws right now, but um yeah I don't know i, I just be concerned that they're 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 not big enough to be you know an a b c d uh and they're they are they are too big to to Be a a buyout candidate. Well, maybe they aren't, Um, but you know you can't stay at a dollar for very long and and stay listed. Um, So something's got to give. They've done a a regime change, Uh, you know, Matt Chris stepping down as CEO, Um, and that hasn't seemed to spark any anything one way or the other. I mean, the market market just seems kind of stalled there at a buck and you know. And I would, I I hate to
0: say it, but a lot of times I invest and I bet on people and leadership teams and my, probably I'd say 80% of the reason I invested in Benson Hill was because of Matt Chris and I like Matt a lot. And I think he's a, he's a good guy. And I, you know, I don't know what all the differences were of opinion with the board and how the direction was going, but yeah, it makes me, uh, I'm definitely one step closer to the door with Matt being gone, um. I talked to some folks over there the other day and I, like I said, I, I don't know. I just think it's a tough, uh, it's a tough business to crack that ag tech startup space. And the, uh, the incumbents definitely have some big moats around, uh, their businesses. And, you know, I think it's just, it's, it's difficult to break in. And, uh, and like Soren and some of the other guys said, I mean, they're there thin margins that lie between, uh, going direct and trying to go with the producer and then to, uh, an end user that the uh, uh you know the cpgs that uh that the bungies or, or the adms or the cargills uh, that are their customers so i mean i think it's it's a tough spot to find but i know they got some good people on their team and like i said i'm 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 hopeful uh, i've been hopeful though for a long time here i guess we'll see what happens but uh yeah so i'm still holding that that's a it's been a sizable loser on the books and You know, I I told you I'm long Portillo's. I I, I like Portillo's. I like to eat it. (laughs) You've been longing that for a while. That's been a good move for you. I bought it kind of off the gate. I mean, I'm upping it a little bit, not any huge, huge amount. There's a small float on it. There's not very many shares issued. I think once they're done, I I do think the next year, two, three years, I doubt the stock just takes off or goes anywhere crazily fast. I think they're in a spending frenzy, and I think they're going to, you know, pop up more locations, you know, they're going to expand and then grow. And I, I think that's going to weigh on the balance sheet a little bit and maybe keep some, uh, you know, some of the short side sellers uh, on, on the, on the stock a little bit. Yeah. I think longer term, I think it could be a huge, huge play. I don't know if it could be a Chipotle type play, but it, it has a similar vibe or feel. And any of you that have eaten the Portillo's, you know, the, the fanfare. I mean, shit, people love to have it shipped all over the country and everything else. So. I think if they can duplicate if they can continue to duplicate it, I think there's a strong chance it could be a whole stock long term, but I guess we'll see. So verdict's out. Yeah, yeah. Any other any other stock picks, Braden or Andy, you guys got anything you're looking at?
2: I've been I personally I've been staying focused on uh, the I I'm liking some of the like the junior junior mining companies. Uh yeah. Junior, junior copper companies, gold, silver, but, but the juniors, and, and same thing on the energy side. I, I'm, I'm really liking the pullback on, on some of these smaller, you know, oil and gas exploration companies. Like, that, just as an example, you got, like, a Devon Energy. DVN was, back last yeah. fall, was 80-some bucks a share, and it's it's pulled back into the 40s. I don't think it's quite done yet, but in the next month or two, that, that thing has not only huge upside, but they're paying something like a seven percent dividend on top of it, and you know, and they're they're not they're not small enough to just go away overnight. So you know, are they a little more volatile? But you know, they also have the some of those more junior companies that, that have gotten beat up on these last set of pullbacks. You know, like I said, gold, silver, oil. Um, I, I'm I'm liking that space right now. I think they got a
1: lot of catch up to play, and I think there's going to be some big opportunity in
2: in some of those.
1: Yeah. yeah, we, we, uh, Bray and I both just independent from one another have invested in this, uh, one, one company. It's a, it's a pink shear, um, alpha or, uh, alpha. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's amazing how many, looking at their deck, it's just amazing how many of the independent oil companies have just between 2000, what, 15 and, or 2012 through 2017 went away. Mm-hmm. And, and so you got all these, you know, independent companies that just, you know, got smoked and disappeared. And, and so there are a lot of these big oil fields out there that uh, have so many capped wells. And to bring these capped wells back into production um, is is uh, is is not that expensive. And, you know, when you go through the math and, and, and look at, you know, buying some of these assets, like one big field in where it was, uh, Colorado, I think, uh, was – uh, no, Oklahoma, uh, four hundred some odd million dollars of infrastructure uh, put in, and you know buying these kinds of assets for sub ten million bucks. Uh, and by the time you, you, you get all that organized, I mean you, your your cost of production just turning back on these wells without doing any new drilling uh, is like fifteen dollars a barrel. Yeah. So you know, I mean, you talk about a low cost producer. So. There are a lot of those kind of plays that seem to be kind of popping up now that all these, you know, independents have gone away and uh, the, the values. Uh, there's some 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 bargain hunting to be done out there for those kind of things. Well, and like you
2: said too, like it's it's in in any industry, you, you always have the juniors or the you know the entrepreneurs and the small business guys will will build up a portfolio or you know an oil in oil's case, a number of wells or a small mine or agriculture, you know, for a, uh, whatever it is until you get into the true bull run of it. And then the big boys need to come in and acquire, it, you know, to keep, to keep their growth in check. So when, you know, when you hear in the news all the time, all, all the, all the big companies, especially in the energy space, haven't been reinvesting much of anything into, into their capex, right? You know, they've been just, you know, pumping out dividends and share buybacks and, uh, so if, if, if we get into that bull run, which we we think we are, they're gonna have no choice but to go and acquire all this stuff because they haven't been spending any money on their own development. That makes sense. I like that. That's that sounds. Yeah,
0: I like that thought. What what are you guys thinking on? Uh, while we're on the you know kind of exploration of the land side of things, what are we thinking on farmland prices? I know Braden, your old man was bullish. as I've ever seen the last time I uh, saw him. So I don't know, are you guys on a similar page or are
2: you you out looking at any farmland or I haven't personally been looking. Um yeah. to be honest, I haven't been following it close enough to, to have an opinion or talk numbers, but yeah. I just I to to be honest, I'm I'm kinda confused right now going if we're gonna have a sticky inflation play going forward. Um you know, farmland always does well in inflation, you know, and, and even though it's scary to think interest rates right now, and I, th- I think there's going to be some choppy volatility in the short term with, farm, you know, farming in general, interest rates, the banking environment, you know, the operation side of farmland, but typically when you're in one of these types of cycles or, or uh, where we're at today going forward, if, if we're leaning inflation, farmland's supposed to be one of the spaces to be but I just, I don't know from a technical
1: evaluation standpoint. I just, I don't know.
0: I, I didn't it wonder how many... me,
1: Go ahead, Andy. I was just going to say, it strikes me that, that uh, you know, farmland was really, you know, uh, in vogue when you had zero interest rates and you could get a, you know, a, a three, four, 5%, 3%, 4%, 5% return. And you had a lot of big institutional money coming into it. Now, you know, with interest rates where they are now, there, there are many more alternative investments that that have a relative degree of safety. Hell, even treasuries, for that matter. That um, uh, you know, I think it, a lot of it has to come back to you know what what kind of return are you going to get from uh, from production on the egg side. So, you know. Uh, I, I think it'd have to be much more um, market specific to corn, beans, and wheat than than it had been up till now. When you you know in the last year, when you've seen interest rates do what they've done, yeah. I don't know.
0: No, what I you I that? agree. Yeah, I you know so we're you know we've got a lot of like had, and uh, we got a lot of places and real estate and buildings and different things, and a lot of I started to do a lot deeper dives. Uh, uh, the Airbnb CEO, I didn't even tell you that day, the Airbnb CEO came and stayed in one of our places in Kansas City. And we chatted uh, for a bit. But the, I I started to recognize a lot of what was whole, uh, has been fueling the real estate market and the housing market has been the addition of all these Airbnb owners and people buying property or buying real estate and then being able to you know uh, rent it on a short term rental basis similar to what you've seen with ubers or you know uh, Lyft or that type of thing, where they take an asset class, and we added a shitload of people to the buying pool but now you're starting to see some of these cities blow back on allowing their airbnbs you're starting to see uh, a lot of the flexed mortgages are going to reset and it's not going to pencil you're starting to see Airbnb itself is wanting to shift their they don't like the professional airbnbers they want to go back to more where you're renting a room and do anything and why i why I mention that is because we've seen the real estate market you've lost a fair amount of just like in Kansas City in the last thirty days, they put a moratorium on any more airbnbs and they wouldn't allow any more applications in neighborhoods and things of that nature and so and they revoked. Tons and tons of, of Airbnb licenses. So you've seen a lot of people who are holding 7, 10, 12 homes and using those as short term rentals are starting to have to kick loose of those. And all I'm saying is it's just like trading. You know, if you have more buyers than you have sellers, obviously your price is going to go higher. But, and I feel like we're, and I told Jordan, I said, I think real estate is going to stay tight and strong a long, long time. I said this a couple of years ago because we have these all these new Airbnb buyers, people wanting to buy property for short-term rental. But I'm not sure that's going to stay in place. I'm not sure how many of those people are going to fall out. So now when I look over at farmland, my question is to like you and Braden, it's like a lot of my producers, the operating lines have gone up to eight. I got some guys that have 10% operating line. You know, the, the interest on the operating lines are up over 10%. And that's a game changer. And, you know, if you're borrowing five, ten million bucks, and you went from three percent to ten percent, well, holy shit! I mean, that's a big difference. And then mm-hmm. you also drop the price. If we get corn back, you know, around four bucks, and beans back down in sub ten bucks, I mean, now, now not only do you have a, a dramatically different uh, operating line, but you also have a lot lower commodity price there as far as the crop goes. How many buyers? I mean, I think you got to take a substantial amount of buyers out of the buying pool, don't you guys? Just like you were saying, Andy, correct?
1: Yeah, and, and most of the buyers, the, the, you know, the lion's share is obviously owned more by the uh, institutions and, uh, and and insurance companies and things like that. And, yeah. and uh, you know, they got alternatives now. Yeah, I agree. And they do
0: have all- I will say this. We have seen more buying of farmland recently from things such as the solar sector seen a lot of uh, land going to solar. I think there are alternatives. I think you could see more land going to other type of uh, uh, clean energy type plays. We're seeing more tech companies buy farm ground through the Midwest to store their data. You know, it's kind of like we keep the oil in Cushing, Oklahoma, because it's centrally located. It feels like more of these big, big mammoth tech companies are sourcing farmland through the Midwest. To uh, put their facilities, you'll see them with big, huge barbed wire up. It looks like a damn, you know, a prison to some degree. But that's where supposedly that uh, Microsoft and uh, Amazon, some of the others, are building their places to store a lot of their data and, and a lot of their uh, IT or cloud types of uh, cloud type of things. So I know I, I think there are alternative demands I am seeing popping up for farmland that is maybe keeping, uh, you know, a bid in there with some more buying interest coming in. But I, I just worry if these rates stay high and these operating loans stay high and we we slip down a little bit more on the commodity side. I, I don't know. I think you could see definitely see some farm ground. Well, but I mean, it's gone nuts. Farm ground prices in the last two, three years
2: have just gone nuts. So, you know, do I, do, 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 do you guys maybe think that it's it's maybe not a new normal but the new floors have been put in like I'm t- taking a step back and listening to both you and your comments right now and I couldn't argue with any of it I agree with with everything you guys are saying and you know with all of us being in the egg space at one point in time or another doesn't it feel like this, this there's a, maybe a disconnect right now currently and maybe it's it lasts a year or two from an operating side or perspective where remember back in the day we'd get squeezed and then you'd come out the other side and fundamentally something would change and kaboom off this thing goes and, and, you know, commodity prices are through the roof for whatever reason. And, and now maybe that seven, eight, 9% operating line doesn't matter anymore and away it goes. Is there maybe a disconnect between the operating side and the overall asset side from a timing perspective in terms of if we're deglobalizing and, you know supply chains are shaken up, and you know the u s is talking about a lot more onshoring of everything and manufacturing and Kevin, you're mentioning some of these alternative uses and is this maybe a short term thing where yeah maybe the, the producers feel some pressure, maybe the overall values feel some pressure but if we're if we're thinking inflation longer term cycles and uh food and and deglobalization onshoring blah 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 whatever it may be. Uh, maybe it's a matter of time before this thing sparks up and, and this interest rate environment costs whatever, or the new norm, but the, the commodity prices far or the revenue on the, on the commodity side just outpaces it again. Is that, is that, well, possible? yeah, you're,
0: I think you're absolutely right on that front. I haven't thought about it that till just that you just said something there, but you know, you could be absolutely right is that, You know, maybe we do. We've come to a new level here. We pull back a little bit. and Like you said, that's maybe the new floor. But just as my reason for – I took a larger position in John Deere uh, on the recent pullback. But a lot of it was associated with a call we were on with some uh, fun guys that were talking their top 10 AI bets. And one of their top 10 AI bets was John Deere. And just simply saying, like you're saying, Braden, right there, yes prices may go lower but if ai really has a big impact in agriculture you i mean maybe you outproduce it right you're saying i mean maybe the average yields in, in in the production goes up so high it just completely outpaces uh you know the negative side and holy shit now all of a sudden farm grounds worth a shitload more possibly you see what i'm saying if if technology becomes that big of a windfall behind it or like we're seeing on the solar side I mean they've cut costs like dramatically on the solar side and producing huge huge amounts of power and if that were to continue like we think it could I mean yes then it makes sense to pay up for the ground and you know like you're saying you just
2: totally outproduce it because technology so maybe you're right well on on your comment to to John Deere this only from a technical perspective but I, I just saw a chart come across my desk the other day I just pulled it up and they, they were they were looking for this pullback or break, and and they're they're, they're bullish John Deere stock, being well over five hundred bucks.
0: Yeah, I I hear you. That's what I'm saying. I don't I think this AI is gonna is for real. I mean, it looks like the next type of cycle that could propel things, and that's interesting to think about. If if you, you can use the land to, it's just totally gonna outproduce uh, where we're headed, you know. And that's Andy. That leads into what. Soren and I and you talked about it for years going into COVID. We were, ta- you know, it's, you know, it, Soren made a great point. He's like, know what dog, uh, know what race you got your dog in when he said, you know, the race is higher yields and lower prices. And I think he's right uh, longer term as far as some of that's concerned. What you know, what are your thoughts? Uh, like corn, beans, wheat. Do You got any positions right now, Andy?
1: Well, I mean, obviously we, we had the, uh, um, the production report and we got the S&D out uh, Wednesday. And, uh, you know, they dropped the carry, or the, the in corn, they dropped the uh, yield to 7, 177.5, which I believe, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's still too high. Um, you know, and, and the big catch of there is, uh, you know, dropping the, um, uh, you know, increasing acres. And, and, you know, hell, we're looking at, Right now, at 177.5, about a, well, 2.2 billion carryout. And you know, I could still argue that the exports are overstated by two to 300, maybe 400 million bushels. It just depends on what China does or doesn't do, and they certainly don't seem to be our friends at the moment. And uh, So I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we get out up to closer to 2.5 billion. Hell, we don't belong at $5 if that's the case, and we could go down to $4. Um, you know, I'm, I... I think corn for all those reasons and, and South America continues to, you know, Brazil's got a big crop, uh, and, and the rest of the world, they're going to undercut us in price. Um, I have a hard time getting, uh, fired up about corn right here. Um, beans, same thing to a lesser degree, but, you know, you know, lacking acres for 4 million, that's, that's a big deal, you know, and, and, but even in doing so, you know they cut exports 125 million, you're down to 300 million now to carry out A lot of people were looking thought we'd be down closer to uh, to 200 million carry out. and and, and, and right after the report comes uh, the bean market explodes yesterday, and, and today it's given a little bit back. but um, you know I, I, I think that you know you're looking at probably another five percent increase, at least three to five percent increase in South American acres next year. You damn sure can't count on another uh, twenty-five million ton loss out of Argentina, and uh, you know they, these kind—they of, don't have the storage capacity. I mean, we're, we're, we're the residual storing uh, store of the, of the world. We're the residual supplier. So, you know, I, 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 I'm kind of negative on corn. I think beans can break. Uh, they and you've just done a huge realignment of, of price relationship corn beans. Um, so I, I I'm not I'm short beans actually right here and now I sold them yesterday and uh, sold them the day before unfortunately. Uh, but uh, I got a scratch in sight, so I'm going to stick with it. Um, I I just uh, I just can't help believe that that you know china is the bean market and china does not like us and they're going to do everything they can to buy it from south america and you know they have all the incentive in the world down there to continue to expand acres and you know we're going to take china down from 100 million imports to 99 and you know uh, the point is they're not growing in terms of their demand uh, thus they're holding you know treading water and and uh, i have a hard time getting too fired up uh about beans either um wheat you know same thing i mean not the same thing completely different it, wheat's more you know war centric and you know ukraine russia centric and i mean hell we're looking now at, at hard red wheat it, it seems to be the darling god damn it daddy i remember a few months ago but back then not even now, yeah maybe 60 days ago 45 days ago you know, you were touting, and I was kind of starting to follow and think along the lines with you uh, that K- uh, Kansas City versus Chicago. I mean, we got out to two fifty, and uh, hell, now we're into you know buck seventy. I mean, we we we've we we've brought that thing in dramatically um, the price relationship, but we're still looking at you know the lowest production in sixteen years, or, or sorry, the lowest carry out in sixteen years with uh, the lowest. Um, um, exports and and the like so we, we you know we continue to uh, uh hard wheat protein seems to be the darling um uh, but you know at the same time you know we're going to have to and the dollar continues to weaken you, you might have a story in wheat i know you're 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 a you know permeable in the wheat market and I, I wouldn't argue with you but if i had to pick one to be long it's the wheat market and if i had to pick the one to be shortest is probably corn on a risk reward basis and in terms of the dollar uh, you know percent move, I think uh beans also I I I can't get my head around being long beans, although bean weather is still another thirty days away before we, you know, uh can kind of feel like we're past the, 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 the safety net. Fifty two bushel yield. I, I don't have a hot problem with that right here and now. Um I don't know. That's kind
0: of how I see it. You got any uh, thoughts yeah. on it? Yeah, I'm short beans. Uh, I'm I, I was gonna get short. Uh, hell, we was probably thirty, forty days ago when I thought about getting short up there at that thirteen seventy-five area. Didn't do it, and came back in. Didn't do it, and then I finally did it in the overnights. And uh, so I'm short beans with you. I, I mean, my only my thing is this: it, there's two things. South American production is is just insane how the growth of South American production. I was looking at the numbers, and I wrote it in this morning's report, that, uh, you know, you take the combined production of Brazil, Argentina, and Paraguay for next year. It is almost double the United States now, Daddy. I mean, that's crazy. The combined production of those three estimated for next year versus us, I mean, it's it's, it's close to double. And I ask – you know, so there's there's one, we're going to lose market share, there's no question. Uh, but I also asked myself, do I think the situation between the United States and the Chinese is going to improve in the next six to 12 months? And for the life of me, I cannot come to any conclusion that it's going to get better. And I've been on a couple of calls the last few weeks, and like I said, some big big-time traders and hedge fund guys still believe that, you know, China is trying to build surplus of supplies across the board, whether it's from copper to iron ore to steel to uh, even in surplus in, into the uh, crop type space. Be the, And their, their theory is they're doing it. One of the main reasons you do that, especially a country like China is, they believe they're going to go into Taiwan and to some degree and by going into Taiwan, that's obviously going to upset the United States and, and other people. And I think, you know, they're going to have to position themselves to make that move. And and I'm with you. I mean, do you want to go in to Taiwan with the Biden administration on? So you want to go in possibly with DeSantis or Trump in office? I mean, I I got to believe China would be more uh, and and with the Russian war going on in Ukraine. So we're already somewhat. uh you know, we've we've got. A, I heard our ammunition and some of our other military supplies have, have been tapped a little bit. So I'm like, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it certainly seems like the landscape could be uh, very ripe to for more greater controversy with the Chinese. And as you said, uh, China is the soybean market. So I, you know, I feel like there there's the chance to break here from here is a little bit more significant than the chance to just rally like crazy uh i've seen the the recent 30 day came out and it looks a little bit cooler uh across the uh, midwest through the middle of august so i don't know if the weather's going to be i could see yields come down a little bit maybe we come from 52 down to 51 or maybe we even come down to 50 uh but there's just such a piss poor demand story uh at the moment anyway uh nearby i I'm with you. I, I, that's what I said. Not, not, you know, I don't have a huge, huge position or anything. And I would like to, you know, add a little more if we can continue to break. But I'm also in the same camp you are on corn. Maybe we're at 175, I guess, with these recent rains. and Maybe the yield comes down lower. But when have you ever seen us over 2 billion bushel carry? And – you know, be able – with with not a good demand story. I mean, we don't have any story in ethanol. The 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 margins have been fair. I mean, they're decent. But there's no growth story there. I think we're going to hold our own. uh. But export side, I mean, like we said, South America is kicking our ass. And I, I worry that, you know, on the export side, unless prices break lower, we're going to struggle. So I don't see much of a demand story. And if you're a 2 billion bushel carry, you know, it's tough for – it's tough for the supply side to to keep prices, uh, do all the heavy lifting above $5. It just seems impossible to me. But, you know, you're either going to have to get a weather story or you're going to have to get a demand story. And one of them has to be really strong to keep prices elevated, in uh, my opinion. So it, it doesn't feel like we have either coming down the pipe right at the moment. There is the wild cards, like you said, out of the Black Sea region. Uh, who knows what Russia could do? I mean, you never know what China could do as well. So, I mean, there are some wild cards in the air, but no, I, I've been more aggressive uh, selling early this year than I ever have been in wheat, corn and beans. So like I said, that's, that's my stance. I think you got to thank the profits while they're there and, you know, price accordingly. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm shit. I'm already 65% sold in beans, corn, and I was 80% in wheat for way, way before harvest. So, you know, it's, I just think shoot when the ducks are in the air, and it felt like, you know, the prices were pretty extended here, so. But the problem is, I go back to like you and Braden were talking earlier, I am kind of bullish the overall commodity sector, and that's what scares the shit out of me, is that the funds could come in here with the dollar breaking, crude taking off, say the metals take off. As you and I know, Andy, there's a lot of balanced commodity funds out there that have to add even though they don't want to be long, they got to be long, you know, the various sectors. So I, you know, it's scary. It, there's definitely the money flow thing that could probably could, could bite you and I right in the ass on a short position here. So
1: I guess we got to watch it, but yeah, that's my take. Well, I, sure. I, I always try to have a, an offset to the, uh, for, for, to a, to a position and, uh, in this case it's rice. Um, And I know I've been, I feel like I've been Polish rice for my life, but it's only been about eight months now, seven months. Um, But at the moment, you know, you're, you're, uh, you got India, who, who's, you know, is the equivalent of the Chinese import. uh, India is the rice, what, uh, what, what what China is the soybeans. And, you know, there's, there's talk out there that they could be banning rice. There's some rumors floating around. Article yesterday in Reuters gave us a little bit of a pop, but. But you know, therefore they're 18, they're forty uh, percent of the export market, and um, you know they. So what you also, say they might be?
0: What'd you say they might be banning? They could. They're talking banning about rice banning. Export. Banning yeah, rice right.
1: exports, other than basmati rice, which is you know thirteen hundred dollars a ton, and and then that that just goes. That's that's what they use in uh, you know high end restaurants, but uh, and, and that's a small part, part of it. But they're you know they they produce one hundred. You know, 25 million tons in an average year. They consume about 110 of that, and or 105 of that, and they, and they export the balance. And and uh, you know, last year they had you know uh, monsoon problems. This year, the monsoon season down uh, over there really is last half of July through August is is, is prime time. That's their, their 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 US weather market equivalent. And um, you know what happens with the uh, monsoons affects everything, but. You know, you, you you can't hide, and they they play games with their stock numbers because you know they're trying to do their best without really having a meaningful central bank to keep inflation under control. Um, but you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, you you know, you, you got uh, Asian prices at multi-year highs right now, um, and and you know, the, China's the low-cost supplier to the world and all the poor countries. You know, that, that's their main staple of uh, of of uh, you know, intake consumption. So, you know, if you, if you did ban rice exports in, and, and, you know, the monsoons, right, you know, its prime time is coming up and there's already been a lot of analogies with, 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 you know, record high temperatures getting set in certain places in China and other parts uh, of, uh, you know, Spain and, and how, you know, all that, that's affected by, uh, um, by our weather patterns. You know that we could, in fact, see you know a problem. And if you had any problem with their stocks, kind of at bare bones minimums, um, and they were to ban it, uh, that would that would uh, that could be a real problem for all the poor countries around the world, uh, and make the Arab Summer look uh, look tame in comparison. So I I guess uh, you know that's one issue. And and then in this country. You know, last year we didn't do any exports in rice until we got into probably March, because South America, you know, had taken our market away from us and they were just giving it away at, at, at huge discounts to the U.S. Well, turn the page, we, you know, had weather problems in, in Argentina and, and the areas that the the problems occurred uh, in South America, and, and, and you know, Rio Grande de Sol, uh, Paraguay, Uruguay are also the the the, the rice producing areas, so. Their crops are down, and, and right now, you know, we're at an $80 discount to them for new crop, $80 a ton, which is, you know, $250, 100 weight. And, uh, you know, you've got, you know, Asian prices up, uh, you know, anywhere from 25 to 40% year on year. Um, and, you know, even hell, last year we were almost $2 higher than we are right now uh, for September new crop rice, So, you know, we're going to have a huge export demand. And, you know, the USDA is, is carrying our, our carryout this year at pipeline minimums for next year. So, you know, how, where do we go from here? Um, I think rice has got some real upside potential to it. And uh, if you do uh, ban export sales to, uh, out of uh, India, that would be uh, really uh, dramatic to the uh, overall world picture. So just something to keep an eye on, but not everything looks bearish in the in the ag world. And, and the primary staple for for you know global consumption, rice, is uh, and we're a small part of that. But you know we 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 could see uh, really dramatic markets. And, and the fact that we're going to start our export program early this year means that you know last year we did, we didn't really see our true potential of the upside because we started selling too late into the world market, into the, you know, this hemispheric market. But this year we're starting early because, you know, South America doesn't have anything to sell. So by the time we get there, we're going to have to ration the back end of demand, which is harder to do than, you know, than than we uh, realize. And and, uh, unlike last year where we just sold what we had and couldn't sell anymore because we didn't have it, This time, I think we're going to front-end load the demand and then have to ration the back end. So, you know, we could have a bullish story this year. Um, I can't see much of a bearish story at these price levels compared to the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. uh, We last time, you you know, last year when you got bullish rice, I got on board and it was a wild ride. But hell, it ended up being a great. uh, It was a great trade. So, like I said, it's it's Uh, not for the faint
1: of heart. heart. No, it's not for the faint of heart. There's no liquidity to the market. You know, eight thousand contracts, uh nine thousand, you know, big markets get up. What do you in? You You trading SEP or NOVE or Oh September, yeah. You you really there's no way you can go any further out. I mean you have to stay in the front month because that's the only place there's liquidity. I mean right now there's nine thousand open in the uh, SEP and uh less than a thousand open in the November and beyond yeah. that nothing essentially. So you got to stay in the front end. It's front end centric, um, and there are carries in the market. So it, it it's not a you know it's not an inverted market like July went up to a three dollar and fifty cent premium to September uh, about two weeks ago, um, and now July is kind of going away. And new crop starts August first. Uh, so you know it's it, it's a September market, but um, I think we're going to see a real Increase in export demand just because uh, South America doesn't have anything to sell, yeah. and uh you know, their eighty dollar a ton premium delivered to most Caribbean and Mexico and places countries like that. So I think we're going to uh, we're going to be the benefactor of, of their short supply, and you know, hell, even with a pipeline minimum carryout, the USDA is projecting a fifty-two million uh, hundred weight export port market. And with this kind of price relationship, it should be closer to seventy-five or eighty million hundredweight. So, you know, we, we we really are short, and this hemisphere is short. And if you have any problems in in uh, Asia, watch out. But you got multi-year highs in Vietnam, Thailand, uh, India, and uh, now there's rumors of India banning rice export sales altogether, and that would be catastrophic for for a lot of. Uh, A lot of countries over in the Middle East that rely on it. Perfect. So, well, anybody got any?
0: I know that's your favorite trade, right, Andy? Right.
1: My favorite favorite trade right now is uh, short along that, and I I mean, you're getting me all bared up on corn and beans. How since we've been on the phone, I've already (laughs) sold some more corn and beans, so. Oh shit! I'll hold you responsible if it doesn't work, and I'll thank you if it does. <laughs>
0: yeah, Brayden, what's your favorite on the
1: on the board?
2: Anything, if that am Favorite would be I I I like I mentioned earlier. I I think we're just setting up for a run in uh, in some of the precious metals, and you yeah. know, some uh, junior miners, and you know, even an yeah. an index or an ETF like a GDX or GDXJ, I like. I like silver. Uh, you know, ETF like a, AGQ is great. And uh, I'm I'm waiting for this next, uh, you know, the next break in in energy to to go long. Yeah, that's kind of great. on my
0: radar. What right what's yeah. the? I can't. Is it Altrus? What's the name of your guys' fund you're managing now?
2: Uh, Altrus,
0: yeah. Altrus, yeah. All right, perfect. So, yeah, good deal. So, yeah, no, I. I can't think of much else. We touched damn near everything. Touched all the uh, all sectors. So, hey, I appreciate everyone. I, I thank you guys again for your time and updates, and I'll get this sent out to, to the troops. And you know, hit and you know, yeah, I swing hard. Been it's been a while, and uh, we always enjoy yeah. your insights and your perspective.
1: Well, thank well, you. Appreciate you guys having
2: me
0: on. It's fun. Yeah, heck yeah, Braden, appreciate it. So, all right, guys, that's it. You guys have a good week.
1: Yeah, you do the same, Kevin. I'll talk to you. Bye bye. Uh huh, bye bye.